And I think we'll see as generations move along here, I think we will continue to see these highly fragmented relationships. And so I think that is going to force our businesses to get really hyper-focused on a specific customer segment and, and be okay with the fact that your customer banks with 20 institutions or 20 fintechs, and you're just a piece of that, but be really good at that piece, piece. and be one that they can count on, right? Yep. Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Bank Tech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. Bank Tech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams of those companies to maximize their impact on community banks as well as their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in your future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to Bank Tech Ventures at banktechventures.com. My guest today is a fellow Hoosier, Kristen Marcuselli, who became president of Star Financial Group a little over a year ago. Uh, they're a Fort Wayne, Indiana-based bank, and they're one of the larger community banks in Indiana and also celebrating 80 years in business this year. She's been there for over a decade uh, has really had a big impact already. Some of the things we were just talking about right before we started. Star has had a member of her family as a key part of the bank since its inception. And we'll talk about that today. She's a super dynamic leader. She's a great example, in my opinion, of the next generation of leaders in both business and community banking that are emerging around the country. And I love seeing the energy and commitment that's coming from this next generation of leaders. Kristen, I'm super excited to have this conversation. Thanks for joining me today. Well, that was a very flattering introduction. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's start with your thoughts. It's been an interesting year so far for banking. Uh, we both uh, live in this world pretty actively. What do you feel like when, when you're asked about the current state? How are you feeling today, two thirds of the way through the year about community banking? You know, from a broader perspective, I, I think I'm fairly optimistic. I'm not, I don't think I am very optimistic because I think the current state of Indiana's economy is really impressive, right? So we're seeing a record number, record growth numbers in terms of the, the dollars of investment in Indiana, the number of jobs that have been created and average wages that are going up. Um, so from that perspective, I think it's incredibly optimistic, but for stars specifically, I think I, I see a growing sense of focus and a, a kind of a fierce competitiveness and more deep strategic thinking and pushes for innovation so that we can, uh, I'll say, reboot the business. Mm -hmm. And I think at the same time, you see and, and feel a, a great sense of pride and responsibility. So at a time when a lot of the media or headlines throughout much of the last year, it's been dominated by the uncertainties of the economy mm -hmm. that community banks, I, I believe, are continuously preparing for how they're going to help their clients weather the storm. Yeah, I think that's a, a lot of evidence to show that. I mean, part of what led me into doing what I'm doing with Bank Tech Ventures was PPP and how effectively community banks around the country, they they adjusted, pivoted quickly. They rose to the occasion, as I often remind people, did 
well over twice as many PPP loans of their market share nationally. And some banks did far in excess of that. And so I think there's clear evidence. I'm curious, though, you, you talk about the, the state of Indiana and its real successes on from an economic standpoint. Are you finding that the economy there is changing in a way where you have to adjust as a bank to even the types of customers that you're trying to serve? I think depending on the industry sector, right, that's mm -hmm. expanding or types of businesses that we're attracting, some sometimes we're, we're having to think through um, where we want to position ourselves. I think more recently, particularly in Northeast Indiana, right, like half of the jobs in our region are manufacturing jobs. Mm -hmm. So it's cool to see the, the growth and expansion of those companies. But when you also think about that significant concentration and are they all rebooting <laughs> their yeah. businesses and how will they live in a digital economy? Mm -hmm. Um I guess there's a little bit of, of fear factor there too. And what, how will banks step in to help support them as I assume they will step up to the challenge and evolve with the, yeah. with the changes. So, well, there's definitely a, a, a reshoring sentiment, mm -hmm. uh, which should benefit a lot of the existing manufacturing infrastructure that can evolve and, and adapt to that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, a, it's, I think an exciting time. Well, let's talk about, you, you mentioned strategy, some, you know, most banks go through this fairly regular multi-year strategic planning process um, with all that's changed throughout this year, both on the banking side with some of the challenges to specific banks, as well as interest rates. Have you found your bank revisiting your strategic plan and adjusting that? 100% true. <laughs> so um, we've completely blown up the way that we uh, attack our strategic plan. Mm. Uh, my brother Thomas has has chaired that committee uh, for the company for the last few years, and he's really pushed us to shift how we approach planning. So we actually hired a third party to just become an extension of the Star family. So they are actually a venture studio. And it's really cool because you get the perspectives outside of banking of mm -hmm. and, and the questions of how are you thinking about this? Why would you get hung up on? that. And so I think it's been incredibly refreshing to bring someone in from the outside to, to challenge how we're mm -hmm. thinking. And um, it's Next Studios out of Indianapolis. They, they've got us really focusing on four primary areas, right? And one of those that I think is one of those imperatives for community banks is just focus, right? What mm -hmm. do you do best and mm -hmm. who do you serve? Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of our plan built around culture and specifically about do we have a culture of innovation? How do we know it? Mm -hmm. What are our headwinds when it comes to driving a culture of innovation? We are obsessing over customer experience and diving into customer journeys for every line of business. And then I we're getting a lot more uh, in-depth as we, when we study the digital economy and industries that go well beyond financial services, That that's really eye-opening as well to see mm -hmm. how quickly things are changing and the technologies mm -hmm. they're using. It's It's pretty incredible. So yes, we've done a complete overhaul and it's been refreshing. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, I definitely do not hear that often enough for where I think banks need to be. So that, I think that is fantastic. All of those things that you're doing just as a follow-up to that, how are your regulators getting comfortable with that? Because and I'll, I'll caveat a little bit. I, 
I've been in the software industry for most of my career. And in the early days of it, there was this process called waterfall development, which was a much more structured process Mm -hmm. for planning and execution. And it's been well over 20 years since I've been in an environment like that, which is a much faster, smaller approach. But I don't think most banks think in an agile way. I can tell just by how you're speaking that you feel that way. How how are regulators adjusting to an environment where banks really do need to be agile? And it's been clear just in the last, you know, last nine months that that is an imperative. That is an awesome question. And, you know, I don't, I haven't sensed in the last few years that the regulators are really scrutinizing the plan. Like, I mean, in terms of its structure, you still see strategic pillars for every line of business. There's tactics that are listed. There's financial targets. They've not really challenged the strategies that we are pursuing. Uh, I think we, you know, we've grown organically, we've grown conservatively and, so we've gotten very positive feedback from regulators. I think what you can absolutely tell in the last few years is just the degree of questioning that you get, you know, well beyond credit. Uh, it's it's definitely drilling into your third party relationships at random, right? And being able to really define how have you done the due diligence on this this company. Um, I, I think that's that's the area that comes to mind the most. Is it's it's third-party risk for sure. Absolutely. We're, we we see that a lot in the world that we're in with, with both the companies that we're working with and our banks. And we're, we're increasingly playing a role there to further diligence and have brought even folks on the team to say, hey, let's, let's be our banks out in front and do the third-party risk management and diligence on their behalf as at least a first- phase of that because we think that is it's high leverage but it's also important i had a one of our banks recently share with me during an exam that just the fact that he had a vendor with an ai in their domain name that that sparked interest and questions about what are they doing with ai how are they doing it in this case they didn't even have true ai in the business but they were just using it for marketing purposes and probably some future vision, but just, yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, one of the things that I really appreciated when we met was, you know, I'm, I'm a startup guy. I've done a lot of entrepreneurial things was just what I felt like was how confident you were in really embracing this newer idea of Bitcoin and how that could be offered to your customers through a bank and really being deliberate in trying to be out in front. Um, it's obviously been greatly derailed by the regulators. So I'm just curious with that, what you feel like you've learned from that experience. So much, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I think back to what, what was it that drove that energy and excitement out of the gate that, you know, enabled us to move quickly and we really had an appetite to do that. It, it stemmed from knowing what our customers were already doing. So this wasn't, hey, this sounds cool. And our digital banking partner says, hey, we can partner with you to be the first to offer this in Indiana. That sounds cool, but it really came down to let's study the behaviors, study the data of our existing customers and see who's actually already doing this. And then you find out there is a material percentage of your customer base who's already engaged 
in these forms of transactions. And so if it's not with us, right, it's with Coinbase or some other provider. And so it really came down to a decision uh, around customer experience. And wouldn't it be great to make their interaction with Star more convenient? And we we do what we do in the form of checks and wires. We were the money mover. <laughs> so, um, but I, I would say, you know, we knew our partners in this. We, we partnered with Alchemy and with Nidig. We knew them well. And I think that it, it did allow us to move quickly, which was really great at the time. You know, as the regulatory headwinds started to approach, <laughs> we had just finished our pilot. We were just going to market and making this generally available. Um, I want to say we had maybe a thousand or so users who were quickly adopting the service. Um, I, I respected the concern of the regulators. And I, I understand where they're coming from, that there's a really good reason why they're going to ask for additional due diligence when banks decide to partner with any fintech, particularly when it's in a space that's more volatile and unknown. But we definitely, we had to be really patient. We found ourselves educating them a lot, we felt. And ultimately, I think it came down to a decision because we have, we've, we've unwound the service that, you know, we had to make a call of, when do we wave, wave the white flag, so to speak? So it may not be a no forever, but you have to weigh the risk associated with pushing this forward and continuing to commit resources versus, you know what, it's time to focus our, our, our efforts elsewhere. I think more generally, generally speaking, the bank's bigger concern, and I have to believe this is like many others, it's how will that resistance to these types of technologies prevent community banks from innovating when speed is so critical. And so is this, I'm probably not the first and only <laughs> resistance we'll see, but it, it, you know, kind of puts a little bit of fear in the belly of, man, are we going to be able to move fast enough? Sure. Yeah. Which is a totally fair question. And as a follow-up, I'm curious how that impacts your framework or decision process for other innovation priorities or ideas? Have you contemplated a, a more controlled ability to, to try to launch things as an example? It's It has probably put us out ahead a little bit. I mean, there's guidance, but there's nothing that's firm regulation in terms of what are those expectations when it comes to due diligence of a fintech mm -hmm. versus another third party. I think it positioned us where we now feel like we have a solid playbook of what depth do we really need to go into? I think there could be arguments all day of, is this just complete overkill or absolutely necessary? But I think it, at a minimum, it's positioned us to be ready for, this is the type of valuation we need to trigger when we decide we're going to partner with that next FinTech because we'll expect to be questioned and rightfully so. Sure. Yeah. And it, I've had some banks really talk about this idea that they go to the regulator first, almost asking for permission. And I'm not sure that's the right move either. I mean, having that good relationship is so important, but, you know, to believe they're, they're the ones that know yeah. what you should be doing with your, your banking strategy too, seems a far fetched idea. Yeah. I think sometimes if it is something that new and unique, sure. Are different. We we did have conversations with our, our state regulators at the start. We did offer you know formal notification to the FDIC at the start. So it wasn't a we need to wait for permission. I think we initially got some pretty good feedback of that's really cool. 
go. And we weren't the, f- the first first to do this, but uh, yeah. the first in Indiana at the time. But we, certainly we early nationally, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, there's something to be said for the courtesy of reaching out before you do things like that and talk or say, what should we expect? And mm-hmm. Well, I, I mentioned this when, when I was introducing you. I, I love it because I grew up in a multi-generational family business, but there's been this imprint of your family in the bank since inception. So I'd love for you to share with the audience, as many may not know, the, even the name and the, the legacy of your family in the name of the bank. No, I'm, I'm happy to. It's something we are very, very proud of. Um, so there were four founders to, to Star Financial, and this was in Upland, Indiana in 1943. And these gentlemen, they were not in the banking business, most I believe heavily involved in the trucking business, actually, mm-hmm. but there was a failing bank branch in Upland, Indiana, and they did not want to see that fail. So they purchased it for an incredibly low amount, some thousand dollars, I believe. And um, the first letters of their names, Sila, Thomas, Art, and Ralph, is actually what makes up the name STAR. So it's an acronym. It's why we always put it in all caps. Mm-hmm. But two of those families, the, the Wrights and the Marcasellis, uh, still retain primary ownership and are very involved in the bank and the bank's management today. Um, we ha- now have representatives from generations two, three, and four. And I, I don't know the specific percentage of how many family businesses make it to gen four, but I've heard it's it's pretty low. So we, we do think that's really special. Um, it's, you know, I think it's, we've had a varying number of family members in the business over the years, but we had, we established these family rules, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. Mm-hmm. So there's certain expectations. If, if you want to come work for the bank, we will not create a position for you. So you will apply for whatever is open and available. You have to have gone to work somewhere else for at least five years first. And if you aspire to serve in a management position, then you need to work to achieve some form of higher education beyond your bachelor's in the form of banking certificate or your MBA, something along those lines. So we have we've held to those standards, I think, for at least the last 15 years, and it, it seems to have have worked well. That's great. Well, I'm curious. I always have to ask uh, what drew you into being part of that versus the other things that you, you may have done with, with your professional life. Yeah, I didn't I didn't always want to go into banking, mm-hmm. honestly, and I, I grew up around it. Right. So you're sitting in dad's office on a Sunday, spinning around the chairs, dry sure. on the dry erase board. Um, those, you know, school jobs on holiday breaks in high school. I, I always chose the ones that were in IT and HR brother and sister always went for the teller positions. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, I was pursuing pre-med in college and then I ended up taking a much different path and went down the athletics administration role. I worked in football operations for Notre Dame for, uh, just over seven years. So, um, it was not what I expected, but when I had relocated to Indianapolis, I thought, you know what, maybe it's something I should check out. I was going to get my MBA at the time, had a conversation with, with my dad. He reminded me of the rules. And I think what, what initially drew me to, I was like, there, there has to be something really special about working with your family, mm-hmm. you know, aside from holiday dinners, sometimes feel like board meetings, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's it's really special to know that your 
your values, your mentality as a servant leader, right? That those are shared with both family members and non-family members. But it's, you know, when people ask about one of the favorite things of working here, it's certainly the service and impact of communities, but getting to do that with so many family members is is really cool too. Absolutely. Well, what, as you look back now in the decade that you've, you've been there, what do you feel like you've learned most from the family member aspect of this versus maybe other colleagues? Patience, not always my strong suit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Really get to know each other, right? Know the strengths of one another and tap into those. You you don't know everything about everything and you shouldn't know everything about everything. So really get to know and lean on and trust each other. I think the importance of really understanding the business, thinking through things, whether it's as a, as a family or not, but with your risk management hat on is, has been an important lesson. Um, but I can remember when my brother first joined and, you know, my dad and I might go head to head in a meeting over a certain topic and he might raise his voice a little bit and I'd sit there and I would take it and we'd leave and Thomas say, how did you do that? How could you just sit there and take that? And I'm like, well, he's not wrong. Like the delivery might've been a little passionate, but he's not wrong. And so I think what I've learned is like, you can't carry that with you, right? Separate business from the personal and know which is which don't carry that along with you to, to dinner that night with the family. Cause it's, that's not going to bode well. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's a super powerful lesson. Very, very good. Thank you for sharing. And, and as I said, I just have such a giant heart for multi-generational family businesses. So it's just so, so cool to see what, what you all have done. So I'm, I'm really curious about this topic of community. You talked about it with, you know, who you serve and uh, that opportunity. Um, I, I've talked a fair bit about this challenge to a lot of banks that they may need to redefine what that term means to them in this new world of more digital and um, is the geographic area the only way to define community? So I'm curious, as you think about STAR, how are you currently or or thinking about defining community for who you serve? I think it's an excellent point. And, and it is, it's forcing everyone to rethink how, how you define community. You know, our, our most recent uh, advertising push, if you drive by one of our billboards right now, it says Indiana born for Indiana banking. Mm. And while our, our physical presence is certainly in, in Indiana, um, and I believe last time we looked, we've got customer interactions happening in all 50 states. Wow. So the, the digital side of the business knows no borders, right? So mm-hmm. that is what presents this incredible opportunity of rethinking who you serve and how you serve. Um, you know, we've we've been a full service bank, I think, since inception. So we we offer retail and commercial small business treasury. We have an entire wealth management and, and trust and estate plan practice. And I think we've we've started to identify repeat success in supporting family-owned businesses as one community that we know we serve. But I, th- I think we have to, this is where the pressure is going to be on some community banks or all community banks. We have to really know what problem we're solving and not lose sight of that because our ability to pay attention to that community's evolution and how they want to be served, their expectations. It's never been more important to really pay attention to identify who, who that is you're serving. So, I mean, there's just 
in today's day and age, there's too many choices mm-hmm. and we don't expect to be the only financial services partner for individuals and for businesses in these communities. We don't think that's realistic, but for the role that we do play for them, we, we want star to be the very best and the most reliable in that community. Yeah. Good. good. So well said. Well, I also noticed that you know, you've gotten really involved in the business community beyond banking, both within your local community uh, in Fort Wayne and as well as the state. How are you thinking about in that same vein the the role of community banks in local and regional economies as things continue to evolve? You know, I, I don't know that we've ever met a community banker or a community bank who didn't hold this fundamental belief that it's their responsibility, right? It is a true commitment to support vibrant communities and a thriving economy. And it's almost, it's a very proud, like dutiful, Mm -hmm. this is what we're here to do. And so some of the easier ones, of course, banks are, are creating jobs and extending support to some of the unserved or underserved um, areas that we are helping directly support business growth and expansion or attraction to the area. And something that I think we've really started to pay a lot more attention to is even if it's just from an advisory perspective, paying a lot more attention to entrepreneurship and to entrepreneurs, right? And so there, the statistics clearly support now that startups do provide the number one source of net new job growth. Absolutely. And so I think that community banks um, can, can play a really cool role in helping startups move along their journey. Um, and then lastly, I think just from a, whether it's a financial contribution or a volunteer, I think it's very cyclical and all of this interaction with people, with businesses, with nonprofits, it just, it positions us to be able to reinvest very directly into the community to help the economy. So. Absolutely. So good. And I I love (laughs) that you point out uh, about startup and, and job creation, because it is very clear data. Unfortunately, we've had a several decade decline in the number of new business formations that really are our job creating and, you know, capitalization and, and support of those folks is key. So I, I can't underscore enough how important that is. And there's some really interesting things even happening nationally in DC, mm-hmm. trying to uh, improve policies to encourage more of this because this yeah. is the the land of entrepreneurs, um, but it has to be as friendly as, as possible for them to come here and, and whether it's from within the country or outside and, and bring their, their great just, ideas. So yeah, it's so good that you're saying that. I just started reading about the states who've started to ad- adopt or enact policy for the right to start movement. <laughs> so I, I think it's it's super interesting. And Indiana's rankings in this space are not, not good nationally right now in terms of number of startups. Um, but I think in the last few years, there's been such a cool push to resurge this effort, right? And converge so, all industries. And I just, I think the state of Indiana is paying so much more attention to it. That's great. And obviously I, I care deeply about it um, being the the state that I grew up in as well. So as I often say, you know, I you can take the boy out of Indiana, but I'm still very much a Hoosier. Well, let's talk a little bit about your peers across the country in community banking. And there's still a lot of banks by most people's counts, right? We're talking, you know, somewhere close to 5,000 still in the U.S. 
but a bunch of them are not keeping up with what will keep them relevant, what will keep them competitive. Why do you think that others aren't changing rapidly enough? I mean, I recognize change is hard for all of us, but um, what what is it that, uh, as you think about that? So my, my brain first goes to thinking about the ones who are, because um, we interact with a lot of banks directly sure. and sure. like peer to peer or even through our fintech partners and are often very impressed by their sure. evolution. Probably a self-selecting uh, group that you, you tend to interact with there. But for those who aren't moving at the right pace, because we haven't always moved at the right pace, it's, you know, it's still very much a relationship business, but like the talent on the team to me is, is everything. Mm -hmm. So they may be questioning, do they have the right talent in the, in the right seats? It could be a strategic conversation that may or may not be happening about what, what does it really take to, to reboot? Um, I have to believe that the sheer cost of technology and regulation for a certain size institution may be fair. Can, can we weather that storm? Can we continuously grow this investment year after year and be competitive sure. um, and, and grow profitably at the same time? And if others are like us, right, we've been going through this amazing navigation of leadership and succession transitions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So others may be facing that same um, chapter and it takes intentionality and it can be awkward at times, but there's a lot of people in new seats, um, a lot of passing of the torch and handing over wisdom. And so there's awkwardness, but that it can maybe slow down the pace, but I think ultimately it, it can help kick you in gear too at some point. Um, and then the last may be, I, mean, I started with, with talent, but it's crazy the, the degree of intensity and investment that has to be wrapped around learning and development for the entire enterprise because everyone's job has changed and is changing, right? It's hard to even say what skill set will we need right. in this seat in 18 months? Again, we don't know. And so identifying those skills gaps and figuring out what you need mm -hmm. takes time. So I think it can be a combination of a number of things that, can really hinder your speed, mm -hmm. but um, those are the ones that come to mind. Yeah, great, great ideas there. And I, I agree with you so much that it's, it's this learning agility that you have to build into every organization now that, you know, I, I have three kids and I contemplate even thinking about how to guide them as they're thinking about careers. And I always will say, I totally believe that 50% of the jobs 20 years from now, no one has ever had. So how do you prepare someone for a job that no one's ever had? There's the, the right. apprenticeship type of process is almost completely broken in that scenario. So it is, uh, I think calling out learning and development is so critical because that is as big a part of people's jobs as doing what's in front of them today. Right. Your prediction, I, I don't ever hold anybody to it, but as you think about community banking 10 years from now, what, what predictions do you have? There are different people forecasting the numbers or what will be different? Because we know for sure it will be different. Will there be, you know, 
5,000 more de novo banks that get started because of some reason? Or I guess, how do you think about where the world's probably going? I do think there will be fewer, stronger institutions. I think we'll see some um, unique partnerships formed over, over time. I think the most obvious one is what you just said about the jobs of the future, right? They don't exist right now. So I think it's really, really interesting to think about what jobs will exist within a bank and in 10 years. I think they will be almost entirely different than they are today mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, I am a firm believer that AI and machine learning will be everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think digital currency will be a thing. Money movement will probably be much faster, um, more consistently than what we see today. And I think we'll see as generations move along here, I think we will continue to see these highly fragmented relationships. And so I think that is going to force our businesses to get really hyper-focused on a specific customer segment because of that and, and be okay with the fact that your customer banks with 20 institutions or 20 fintechs and you're just a piece of that, but be really good at that piece, piece. and be one that they can count on, right? Yep. Um, and maybe less regulation because a girl can dream, right? <laughs> I I absolutely can envision more of a fluid regulatory environment where it is it is also digital, and therefore I feel like is much less stop start or uncertain so that that is what i can see is I love know, the that. regulator just has access to see and they're able to to monitor much like you all might monitor your customers on a much more regular basis which i think will be a part of the bank's job to be much more consultative and proactive value add uh, increasingly in the future so that's my hope as well. <laughs> I like it. So a lot of the banks that I know and work with, just they talk about the volume of solicitations and companies that they hear from, fintechs and service providers and others. And at times, I think just they dismiss them all because it's just all sounds the same. Everybody's doing the greatest thing, most important thing ever. And there's just tons of noise. So I'm just always curious how you and your bank are sifting through all of that to try to make what you feel like are, are the best decisions for, for you, your future. Yeah, it's it, it's a hard one to wade through because there are, are so many and so many that are so interesting. One of the lessons that I feel like the Venture Studio, Next Studios, that's working with us on our strategic planning, they've really hammered home is you better know what problem you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. I don't just go out because you think it's it's cool and flashy and we, we think if we build it, then they'll come flocking. Um, you really have to know that there is a problem that exists and then find the perfect match to give them the very best solution. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that we are really obsessing over customer journeys. And that is it's a very tedious process, right? But when you sit in a room and you go through how many steps does it take to open an account, a checking account here? <laughs> and you map all of those out. Maybe it's like 20 some steps. You're like, wow, that's long. And then you start asking yourself, so what's the customer think about this at this step? And how do they feel at this step? Mm-hmm. You step away and you're like, 
oh, wow, we've got several problems here, but you're calling out the problems that need Absolutely. to be solved. And so I think that's where we've tried to just be intentional of knowing the problems. And when we find fintechs that can match that solution, great. I think, um, I don't know if you're familiar with True Digital, it's Patrick Sells. That's an, a, a, we've just become members of that. And I, I think that it brings a lot of value in terms of being able to look for what fintech can help you do blank, mm-hmm. right? So that's a, it's a cool way for banks to be able to quickly identify what other providers banks are using to solve these different problems. And um, so that's another way that I, I think we're, we're trying to figure out our matchmaking strategy, if you will. Totally makes sense. And I, I have to call out, it, it sounds like uh, Next Studio is very much a fan of the process of jobs to be done, which I am a huge devotee to. And I've actually had uh, one of my podcast guests is one of the foremost experts in it uh, as well. So it it is, I think, a very humbling, but also useful framework for really getting to problems that people have and problems worth solving too, because not all problems are created equally as well. Well, let's talk a little bit as, as we're getting toward the end here, Kristen, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, clearly you have ascended quickly into a very senior role at star. When did you first see yourself as a leader? That is a really hard question. (laughs) Really hard. You know, I think back, I think I I've been, very fortunate in that I've been surrounded by a lot of really cool leaders mm-hmm. throughout my lifetime. The one who often comes to mind first is my dad. And so I've, I've always admired him. I mean, he wears a lot of different hats, just not within banking. It's in all the different organizations that he serves and the manner in which he gives his time and attention and the quality of questions that he asks. Uh, I've always seen him as a leader. And so it's been very easy for me to be like, I, I want to be, like that. So I had, you know, a father figure um, who was just set an awesome example for me when it comes to true leadership. Amazing. Well, I, I appreciate your humility and sort of not fully leaning into that, but it's it's very clear to me that that you are. I'm also curious what what habits have you developed for yourself to just you know, continuously learn and and develop and as a leader uh, and a banker? Hang around really, really smart people, (laughs) number one, and learn and ask questions as as often as you can. We we started investing in executive coaching Mm. a few years ago, and it has been a really, really powerful investment for us. I've done three 360 evaluations in my professional career. So over the course of about 16, 17 years, and they are one of the most beneficial, right? Something that can hurt a little bit, but man, you learn a lot about how your peers see you and your boss sees you and your direct reports. Um, so going through that exercise and, and in these last years, having an executive coach where you, you know you call out a couple of things that you really want to improve upon, and you you are incredibly intentional about working on them and asking for feedback. Um, that that to me is one of the clearest ways to to go about making sure you're self aware, know what you should keep doing because it, it seems to be working well and people like it. And what are those areas where you need to improve? 
um, and be committed to, to doing that. I do think asking for feedback from people often is just a good, good practice. And I probably say learning to not, don't put too much on your plate. I used to be really, really bad at that. Say it said yes too often. And so figure out what are you really passionate about and where do you want to spend your time um, so you don't overextend. Absolutely. That, that is a very difficult one for, uh, especially if you are a uh, extrovert who likes to be around people as I would gather you likely are. Uh, and I am, and that, that that's definitely a challenge. Well, let's go kind of rapid fire a little bit. Last couple questions. What's one thing that most of your banker peers probably don't know about you? The, the one that has come up most often that people are like, you're kidding. Um, I was the place kicker on my high school football team. That is awesome. So I went to football camp at Notre Dame. I ended up working there for several years as a student and after. So that's one that is is unique, but I have been asked often, maybe car sickness. I get really car sick if I'm not sitting in the front seat. So you've got that. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. Those are great. <laughs> so if a business asks you today, why, Kristen, why should I work with a community bank as my financial partner? What do you say? I would say, because I, I believe it's important for them to know the decision maker, right? To truly have a relationship with people and know who's making the decisions on a loan, who's making the decisions on the investments to make in technology. And so that uh, familiar, degree of familiarity and just the personalized relationship to me is, is number one, so that they know they're investing in a, a partnership, that it's not transactional. Mm-hmm. I would think most people would believe they're aligning their own values with a community bank who very likely shares the, the same, mm-hmm. same values. And so, yeah, I, I could think of a lot of reasons, but those are the ones that come to mind first. Those are, those are good ones. And I, I think those are why community banks will persist as well, because people love to do business with people and it's really hard for those things to exist at, at that level of depth inside giant organizations. It's just, that's right. the, the reality. Yeah. Last question. For two thirds of the way through the year, what are you most excited about for Star for the last third of 2023? It's been a wild ride so far. It has been a wild one. Um, you, you mentioned that we're going to celebrate 80 years in business. So the actual anniversary date is sometime in October. Okay. The company's going to have a big party. Thank you. Company's going to have a big party this Sunday. But I I think the the coolest thing, and I better not jinx it, that's going to happen between now and near end is we are going to move into a new headquarters uh, in downtown Fort Wayne. So we've been at this project building a brand new building downtown for the last three years-ish. Wow. And so this is an opportunity to bring together um, all of the employees who work at our service center, about 165, and our corporate office downtown will all live under one roof, about 220 people. Very cool. Yeah. So I am so excited to, you know, just, I think, be around the energy and the new and just the excitement of being in downtown Fort Wayne, which is is really cool right now. So that's by far, I think, my, my number one most excited. That's super exciting. 
Well, Kristen, I knew this was going to be a fun conversation. Thank you so much for giving me a little slice of your time, which I know is precious. And thank you for being out there and leading by example as one of the most compelling leaders in community banking, I think not only in Indiana, around the country. Thank you for sharing your perspectives. There's so much good work that you're doing at, at Star. And, and I think the fact that you're willing to share it with others is is so generous of you too. So thank you for the time and thank you for being part of this today. No, thank you so much. And, and thank you for, for thinking of Star. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.